we're taking a look these few weeks at the small steps that we can take uh, with the Lord after Easter. Jesus says, I'm going ahead of you, and he invites us to come after him, right? To, this is the word we use to, to follow. That's a simple word to describe the, the Christian life, the life of a disciple. is just simply to follow after him. Uh, and that's what we're going to hear about today as we take a look then at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, if you want to follow along, and you've got one of these blue-white Bibles there in your your row. Uh, it's on page 889, page 889, as we hear that word together. Hopefully you've been taking uh, the time as we go through these weeks to, to add those little small steps to your card so you're all caught up and you're filled out. If you want to grab one of those, you can do so at the door as you leave there. It's on the, uh, the table on the left outside. Let's pray as we hear God's word together this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to get together. Thanks for the safe travel this morning. I pray that I would not uh, stand in the way of your people hearing your word, but let it come through clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've never been happy quite or satisfied with uh, the decision to leave China. I suspect that I will, I don't know, regret it a little bit my whole life. Uh, In 2010, you know, we were told as we went there that, that we had two years of funding and we would see what happened after that. But when our, in our minds, when we went, we made the decision to stay. We sold our cars. We packed up our furniture in long-term storage. We got our will. We got our insurance, our life insurance, uh, and we got our trust. Uh, all of those you know, good adulty things that you have to do in life, right? And, and so in, in 2012, when we were told it was time to come back, we needed to come back, you know, we were pretty disappointed and we decided, we said, okay, fine, we'll come back. I spent the next couple years of my life then explaining to both Chinese friends and uh, people in America, you know, why we gave up such a good thing that we were doing. It wasn't because we weren't doing well. Uh, We were doing pretty well. We were doing quite well. And it wasn't because we weren't serving people or doing good. We were doing a lot of good for other people. We were doing quite a bit of good for others. So, and eventually I said, why did we come back? Right? Why, why did we give up such a good thing that we had worked so hard for? I mean, certainly there was some aspect of respect for the people and for the system that we had placed ourselves into. But really, I had to admit, part of it was we didn't even think about handling the dangers and the risks and all of the struggles and the hardship that would have, we would have experienced if we had stayed. That was really it, right? We were not ready and willing to face the dangers, the risks, the struggles, the hardship if we had stayed. The thing is, I think we make a lot of decisions like that in life. and We, we probably don't even realize how much we are giving up doing good for other people because of the dangers and the risks and the hardships and the struggles. You know, I, I thought of just... During the, the pandemic, one thing that's happened, I've had some people say, you know, they, they didn't feel comfortable gathering in the, the, the service with other people. Maybe they even walked in and they walked back out because there were too many people or not enough people wearing masks or, you know, people were, were too close, all these things. Now, everybody's got their opinion and we're all tired of it, right? <laughs> we just want to move on in life. However, however, the, the thing that's surprised me about it is, is what we don't do we don't talk to each other about it. You know, we, we, we haven't walked in and, and said to somebody else, you know, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Is there a way we can work this out? You know, that we haven't said, is there a place where I could sit that would be comfortable? People haven't said to me, 
you know, pastor, could we do something alternatively? Can we have an alternative gathering? We haven't taken any of those things on, right? We haven't faced the awkwardness and the difficulty and the hardships and the struggles that would come up if we had that conversation. How many of us want to be firefighters and and police officers? We don't face the trials, those struggles, the danger that would come with them. I mean, even how many of us, how many of us shy away from hard stuff at work because we don't want to get involved in conflict with the rest of our team? Huh? We don't even like that kind of danger. And, and so I'm really stuck, struck at times in history, and probably you are as well, when we see people, uh, you know, especially Christians, face hardship, danger, and struggle to do good for others. I think about an example uh, in the fourth century. The historian Eusebius tells us that there was a plague that swept over the eastern half of the empire. And the wealthy people and the healthy people fled from the cities for the countryside. Who stayed? Christians. All day long, the Christians tended to the dying and to the burial. Countless numbers with no one to care for them. Not that the Christians were the ones staying in the city and dying. They were caring for the poor and the sick who couldn't leave the city. It was the Christians who who faced the danger to do good for other people. It it doesn't even have to be such a big thing. I think in my own life uh, about a person who stood up for me at at a meeting one time. I was getting kind of criticized, right? People were coming at me and they said, hey, hey, this is maybe a little out of line. Now, they didn't face physical danger because they stood up for me, but they, they certainly experienced a risk to their reputation. What about you? What about you? Have you faced danger, hardship, struggles, trials to do good for somebody else? Maybe even more, have other people experienced danger and struggles and hardship for you to do good for you? I mean, personally, right? Maybe somebody other than a police officer or a soldier way out there. What about, have you been on the receiving end of somebody doing good because they faced that danger for you? It's an awesome thing, huh? That'd be a really cool thing to realize just how much danger somebody would put themselves in for us. And today in our lesson, we get to see from Philip, this man who who goes into the city of Samaria. It was a pretty hostile area. It was a hostile area region to his message and he went there he didn't just preach a message he actually went there to do good for people we hear about all these miracles that he was doing and he east in philip then he invites us to do the same for others to do good for other people This is the Easter message that Easter is not just a new creation breaking into the world where we say What's God up to in our lives and what are we going to do about it? Easter is not just a new story for our lives where we say, Jesus, what are you saying to me? What are you telling me? Easter also invites us to have a new part in God's story. Easter invites us to have a new part in God's creation. And that's what we want to do today is to see what our new part is in God's story. And the contrast here, the contrast is this man named Simon. Simon from Samaria, Simon Magus, sometimes we call him Simon the Magician, Simon the Magician. And it's a really neat event. Uh, Why? Because he's a man who is not very religious. He's not religious at all. You know, he wouldn't be like any of you coming to church every week. 
He's, but he's very spiritual. And, and still his life is turned upside down by the message of Easter. He can perform his own miracles. They call it sorcery here, but he can, you know, he can do some kind of supernatural tricks. We don't know exactly what power he has tapped into, but he has this power. And so when he sees Philip and Peter and John, not their preaching, but he sees the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God and what it does, he's pretty excited. And he says to them, Simon said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, Simon's clueless here, right? He's, he's clueless, but Simon sees something. He sees that the gift of the Holy Spirit could be the greatest good that he could give somebody else. Isn't this impressive? Right? I know he's selfish. I know he just wants to, to gain some popularity and some attention. But here's a guy, he can already do some supernatural tricks. He can do some magic, if you want to call it, right? He's, he's, got that, he's got that power, and yet he looks at the gift of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he says, that, that would really let me do something great for other people. Would that be cool if I could do that? Simon kind of calls me out, you know? He, he gets this basic truth, this basic principle that so many of us, including myself, I forget that we are here to do good for others. Not just to benefit ourselves. I, th- I thought this week, I was, I was talking with another guy this week, and we were, we were talking about the experience, what happens to us, how upset we are when people don't show up for an event or for a gathering. And then we talked about how ecstatic and excited we get how happy we are when all kinds of people show up for an event or a gathering. You know, we had, we, we had to admit we weren't happy for them and we weren't upset for them. Our, our problem was what, what happens is we were upset because when nobody shows up, we feel like we're not important, we're not successful, and we're not loved. And we're ecstatic because when people do show up, then we feel like we are important, we're successful, and we're loved. Do you see what I'm saying? What's our problem? Here we've got Simon, this, this spiritual but not religious guy, and, and he gets, you know, the gift of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the greatest thing I could have for other people. And here you've got, you've got me, a guy who supposedly has the gift of the Holy Spirit, and, and I'm saying, I can't even be happy for you. I'm just worried about whether or not I feel good about myself. I thought about this a whole bunch of other times that it, it, this week, right? How bad is it that I, a guy who supposedly has the gift of the Holy Spirit, am just concerned about what it comes in for me? I thought about it another time when I was, I was talking with uh, some people about what they wanted to do for their careers in life, for their work in life. And a couple people said, well, I want to do something good for people. I want to help people. Cool, right? It was, it was funny to hear that, that phrase. Uh, and I, I reflected and I thought, you know, you would have never heard that in a classroom back in the 90s growing up. When I was growing up in the 90s, everybody said they wanted to be a basketball star or a baseball star or maybe, maybe a stock trader so that they could be really rich. That was it, right? That was what we cared about. That was what we wanted. We were in it for ourselves. Look at how, where it is. Now, maybe this is, maybe it's not true. Maybe it's just a, a fake, a facade, right? But to see people saying, I'm in it to do good for people. How cool is that? What about you? What about you? 
here's what I'm saying, right? Simon is not a particularly religious guy. And even he, as a not very religious but spiritual guy, gets that I should be about doing good for other people. That's where I should be. Do you want to do good for other people? You can't buy your way there. Simon offered them money, but Peter rebuked him saying, You thought you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Simon didn't realize just how much of a, of a jerk he was, huh? Uh, he didn't realize how wicked or how captive his heart was to sin. He said, you can't buy the gift of God with money. Why? Why? Because somebody else has already bought the gift of God. And it cost him far more than money. Somebody else has already bought the gift of God for you and for me. And, and there was no amount of money in the world that could have paid for, for all of the wickedness. There was absolutely no amount of money. It, it cost instead the holy precious blood of the Son of God. That was the only payment that could have possibly been spent to win the gift of God for you and for me. Let me give you this illustration. This one's stuck with me. There was a young man one time who, uh, a college student, a freshman in college, he sat down next to a 26-year-old woman who was in college working on her degree. And the two uh, started to talk about the grace of God and the mercy of Christ. And he didn't realize how much she needed it at the time because she was a single mom, uh, you know, so mother of a child, uh, and she was also having an affair at the time. The young man and his friends took it on themselves just to start helping her out. They came over to her house. They watched her kids so that she could study for her classes. They were committed to doing some, some good for her. Well, and then one time, uh, a friend was in town. He was playing in a band at a church, and so they invited her to come with them to church. She came. The, the pastor got up there, and he took out a rose, and he, and he said, look at this rose. I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about sexual activity in your life. You, pure, undefiled, he said, you are this rose. You smell lovely, right? You look beautiful. What, a, what an awesome thing you are, this beautiful rose. And he said, I'm going to throw this out here to you, right? And I want you to smell the rose. And so he threw it out to the crowd, and they, they started passing it around to smell the rose. And then he began one of these really unpleasant, very harsh handlings of, of, of people's sexual lives. Uh, he, he, you know, talking about diseases and getting him to the point of, of yelling at people. And, and then he eventually said to them, you know, do you want to get diseases? These kinds of things. So here's this young man sitting here next to this, this woman, and he's, he's horrified for her. And eventually the, the pastor gets to the end of the little, the little sermon, the little speech that he's giving. He says, where's my rose? And some student brings this, this rose back up, and he he hands him the rose, and the rose is all tattered, right? The petals have all fallen off. The, the, the leaves have all fallen off. It's an ugly rose. And he holds up this rose, and he says, who would want this rose? And the young man sits next to this woman, and he can't shout it out because he's in an auditorium. It would be weird, but he, he says, Jesus wants the rose. And isn't that the point of the whole, the whole illustration? The whole thing, it makes us realize, you know, we just, re we really are, we are badly off. 
We are far worse off than you and I would ever imagine. We might want to smell lovely to the world. We might want to be beautiful. We might want to feel beautiful to the touch. We might want to bring a smile to somebody else's face. Like you and I are going to do on Mother's Day in a couple weeks as we pass our mothers a beautiful bouquet of roses. Don't forget Mother's Day, right? Got it? Did you pick up your roses yet? No? I already got the flowers on the table at home. Thank you, right? That's what we might want to be, but we don't, do we? We don't. We're ragged, we're tattered, we're broken, we're falling apart, we're beat down, and yet Jesus wants the rose. And we can blame our inability to do good on other people. We can say it's because they don't want us in our lives. And yet, and yet, here's the thing, right? That we are the more of a mess than we can imagine. Jesus still wants the rose, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Isn't that the amazing truth? That Jesus wants the rose, he wants it for you and me when we were a mess in our lives, we were no good for anybody else. It is absolutely true that you cannot, you cannot get into God's kingdom and you cannot begin doing good with God apart from repenting. If you can't say, God, you know, I've really wanted all my life to do good for other people, but I'm just not succeeding at it. I'm sorry, forgive me for this. If you can't say that, you can't start doing good. But it is also absolutely true that you cannot buy your way into this kingdom. You can't. There's no amount of money that you can spend. Jesus paid the price. The great value of Jesus is one of inestimable worth, that he would do it for us. Let me think with you for a minute about that for us. Can we do that? Think about what that for us means. Take this gardener and this rose illustration. Let's expand on the rose illustration a little bit. If I was a gardener caring for that rose, I could work for that rose in a lot of different ways. I could, I could feed and nurture and fertilize that rose. I could do a good job caring for it. That'd be working for the rose, wouldn't it? If I was a gardener and I wanted to have roses, I could... I could uh, work for the rose. I could rip the rose up and steal it and take it home. That'd be getting the rose, wouldn't it? I could work for the rose. <laughs> Might be wrong, but I could do that. I, if I was a gardener and I had roses, if a, if a rose got trampled on and smashed down, I could dig that rose up carefully. And I could plant it in a new pot and I could fertilize it and, and really trim it back and kind of nurture it, nurse it back to health. It maybe even if there was a storm coming and I was working for the rose, I could take those little white buckets and cover all the roses over, and then I could even go out there at night, you know, with the storm, and I could lay my body on top of all the buckets and hold them all down so that that the storm doesn't blow all the roses and wreck them. But you know, the one thing I could never do for the roses, I could never become a rose. I could never put on the thorns on my head and I could never stand in the middle of the rose garden. But, but that's what Jesus did, right? When it says, for us, Jesus became the rose. Jesus took the thorns on his head. Jesus endured the storm. He was shattered. He was crashed. He was pushed around. He stood in the middle of the rose. That's what it means that he was for us. This is the way. This is the way, right? That he grows to restore the garden. This is the way to get right and to do good. The, uh, the Apostle Paul, Peter, excuse me, he said, you should have no part in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. 
When Peter says right here, he doesn't mean righteousness or rightness or goodness like we often talk about in the Bible. Here, when he says right, he just means straight. He means your, your heart's not straight. Your heart's not direct. And Jesus says, you know, the more you see that I was the guy who paid the price, the more your heart's going to get straightened out. The more you, you've got it in your mind that I became the rose in the garden, the more your life is going to get straightened out, get put direct. Right? He wants to have this personal relationship with you. He's not just a, a God who is far off and, and dead. He's alive. And so you pray to him. You're praying to a God who's alive. Repent. Let him into your heart. He, he's, he is a guy, so if you, if you worship him, he's, he, you're worshiping the king of the living universe. Let your heart open, explode with joy and love. And, and if you love, if you love, know that you are working not with some guy who just gave you some dead teachings that you can try to put into your life. Know that you are working with the one who wants to make your hands loving. That's a great heart. That's a heart that has been set straight. That's a heart, my friends, that has a part to play. You and I have got this great heart to play our part. And so what good can we do around here? I think this is the, the question that this lesson leads me to say, right? What good can you and I do around here? That's our next small step to say, take. Right? If we've taken to ourselves and we've thought about and we've said, all right, God, what are you up to in this new creation? And what am I going to do about it? If we've asked ourselves, what is Jesus saying to me in his word? Then the next thing we can, should be doing is saying, well, God, what, what do you want me to do? What good can we do around here? And we can be sure that it's not just our own ideas and dreams. A few weeks back, some of you were asking me about this, this ramp thing that we were doing. I heard kind of some murmurs about it. Where'd this ramp thing come about? You know, and that, that was just from one or two people around here saying, hey, what good can we do? And God opened up that door and, and we walked through it. Uh, some other people, a, while, you know, a year back, we did this thing with the cards where we put the cards up on the wall and we told everybody about the cards and then we sent out those cards. And that was another thing where we said, what good can we do? It wasn't a, a big deal. It was just opening up and asking, what good can we do around here? How about you? What good can you and I do around here? What good can we do around here? Because you and I, we've got great hearts that have been set so we can play our part. Let's do that, huh? Excited for that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thanks for putting us into a straight line, for directing us out, for, for straightening us out in our lives, giving us these straight hearts so that we can do our part. Let us play our part in your new creation, in your grand story, Whatever that part might be, we have a great opportunity to do good for others. Open these doors for us, Lord Jesus, so we can walk through them and, and, and play whatever part you might have. Forgive us for our selfishness, our laziness. That just keeps us focused on ourselves. Let us uh, see our, our brokenness that keeps us from helping others. Open us up then to know you as the one who, who has become sinful, broken, and weak for us to set our hearts straight. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's join together in confessing our faith in this one who has straightened us out, who has given us these straight hearts with the words of the Nicene Creed. Would you stand please and confess with me?